The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. And I think you're going to be blessed today. just want to introduce our speaker to you. He's, he has spoke at our church before on a Sunday morning. Some of you will remember him. Uh, Rob Douglas, he's, um, he's a missionary, but uh, also really um, a guy that stirs hearts for the mission field, not only what he, how the Lord's used him in the mission field, the work that he continues, to, the Lord continues to use him to, uh, to accomplish on the mission field, but he speaks to hearts about just the Great Commission, the global call for all of us, and I think it'll be inspiring for us to hear from him today. I've just asked him to share whatever the Lord's put on his heart, so uh, let's welcome Pastor Rob. Good morning. Excellent breakfast. Did you guys get enough bacon? (laughs) Such an American breakfast, I love it. Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This morning we are going to be looking at some of Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. Now, it's a wonderful thing to have a Lord that gives us such clear instruction. As Pastor mentioned, I work overseas. I work in nations that have never heard the gospel, unreached areas. You ask them about Jesus and they think he might be a friend of yours and you're going to introduce them to him soon. They have no idea that God became a man and lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. Totally unreached. And so, When I come back to these words of the Lord and the scriptures and the foundation that our nation and our society stands on, the Lord keeps burning in my heart when I'm speaking to a group of Americans, my own people, that we need to keep our nation strong, godly in every way. So this morning, we're not going to talk about things that are happening overseas. We're going to be focusing on what God wants to do here and now. Now, if your pastor invites me back, ask him to, and to share on a Sunday morning, and we'll talk about overseas. But this morning, it's about you being men in your homes, in your families, in your jobs, and ultimately to sanctify this community. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, and we're going to be reading from verses 24 through 27. This is the story where Jesus talks about the man that is wise and builds its house on a rock or the man that's foolish and builds his house on the sand. Well, let me open with an analogy that struck me deep when it comes to understanding how to build something that will last. We were visiting Israel many years ago. And as we were traveling through a part of Jerusalem, we noticed this beautiful building. And on the outside... The windows were gorgeous, and everything looked like it was a, you know, a brand new, beautifully built building. And from the second floor up, it was perfect. But the bottom floor, all the windows were shattered. And so I asked the, the tour guide, being a builder myself, what happened there? He said, oh, that's a tragedy. They built that place to do weddings and to do you know, ceremonies and all of this stuff. And last week... When a wedding party was finishing with the wedding and they all came into the reception room, they put the dance floor in the very center of the fifth floor um, building 
and they put the, the, the people were dancing in the center and then around the edges of the building were all the people sitting and having dinner. But the builders that built it didn't follow the code. They didn't build it correctly. You guys have all done construction. You know what I'm talking about. They didn't use the right rebar. They didn't mix the cement right. They used you know, stuff that wasn't gonna last. And so as the wedding party was dancing in the center of the floor, the whole building started to buckle. Within a moment, the bride, the groom, the parents, everybody collapsed from the fifth floor to the fourth, to the third, to the second, to the first, gone. Only a few people that were sitting in the perimeter that didn't break because it was held up by the walls and the pillars, they witnessed it in total shock. So who was to blame? The builder and the inspector. Those two men, we all understand that kind of construction. The builder, the one in charge of it, and the inspector. They were arrested and they're doing time in prison today. Why? Because people died because they didn't follow the proper building code. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus's understanding, Jesus's word to us, Jesus's direction to us as men of God and how we are not to just physically build, but spiritually build. This is knowing what we need to do to truly be godly, long-lasting spiritual leaders within our community. The words of Jesus are simple, and that's why I love them. You ever considered how simple the Lord is? He tells a story about two men in a way that we can all relate to it. Every one of us, no matter what our education level is, no matter where we've come from, when we read this story, it will make sense to us. It will resonate in our hearts. I love the simplicity of Jesus. And then one more thing I want to point out before we read the scripture is that these words are not suggestions. They are predictions. Jesus is not saying this is a one way to go. This is a, a good thing to do. This is one of your choices. Jesus is saying, if you do this, you will fail. But if you do this, you will succeed. These are not suggestions. They are predictions. Jesus understands the end from the beginning. And so here in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus talks about the wise man. May this be all of us. And may we institute this into our families and our communities. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The wise man. The wise man hears. The wise man considers. And then the wise man simply obeys. That's it. Lord, you said it. You were clear about it. I've understood it. I'm going to obey it. What is obedience? Is it an emotion? Is it a feeling? Is it something that is easy? No. Obedience is a decision that each of us make every day. This is what the Lord wants from us, to be wise and to say, this is the rock. This rock will remain steady throughout eternity. This rock that Jesus is talking about is his word. The words from the prophets in the Old Testament, starting with Moses, 
coming all the way to the days of Jesus. The words of Jesus as we know in the Gospels. And then Paul and Peter and all of the disciples then taking that word and sending it to the ends of the earth. The rock that we stand on has never moved. It has been faithful. It has been solid for thousands, thousands of years. Just consider it. Right now, we have the ability to plant our spiritual foundation into something that will never change. The heavens and the earth, they will pass away. All the philosophies of the world, they will fade. They will change, but our Lord will never change. And so we're going to begin looking at some of these scriptures as we continue. Then Jesus continues in this portion of Matthew, and he talked about the wise man. And now in verse 26, he switches and compares the wise man to the foolish man. And in verse 26, Jesus says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the flood came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell. It fell. And great was its fall. May that never be said about any of you. I've been a pastor for many years. I've had friends that were so close to me. They were closer than my own family. And I watched them. They started off strong. They knew the word. Some of them were ordained as Christian leaders. Some of them were just great Christian businessmen or, you know, whatever. They, they loved God. And after a while, they said, you know what? I really don't need to follow the Lord's ways. I think God will make an exception for me. And they started to change. They went away from the word. They started to follow their own heart, their own self. They outwardly looked like they were loving God. And inwardly, they were imploding. When the winds blew and the rains came, their house fell, and it didn't just fall unnoticed. Great was its fall. This is our choice this morning. Do we stand on what God has clearly shown to us throughout the thousands of years of history, through the clarity of the Bible that we hear every Sunday, that we turn on the radio and we let it wash our souls? Do we stand on those truths or do we lean on the world, our own understanding what our unsaved friends or co-workers or family members tell us, where is our house built? Will it stand or will it fall? Now, one of the great things that I love about this passage is it's so simple. It's so applicable. Now, remember, this was written 2,000 years ago, but we still build the same way today. How many of you guys are builders? Would you ever build a house on pure sand? Absolutely not. How long would it last? Not long. We'll drill down hundreds of feet and spend thousands, I mean, $100,000 just putting in post into the ground if we're on dirt that we think might shift a little bit. We would never build this way. And so when Jesus is saying this to us, don't think in your own heart, Jesus is too complex. The Bible is too complicated. Now, we're not reading some of Paul the Apostle's complicated text this morning, right? This is going to apply to all of us, and we can grasp it immediately. Jesus says, everyone, not just the most educated, not just those that are from Christian families, not just those that have you know, a lineage of Christianity in their homes, everyone, if you got born again this morning, you understand it, so let us 
apply it. Everyone who does this will be rewarded. So the first man, he listened and he took action. I think this is the first thing that we want to apply to our heart. The first man listened and he took action. He wasn't lazy. He didn't just hear in one ear and let it go out the other. He took action. And he said, Lord, I'm hearing your word. I'm feeling your conviction. I understand the things that you're speaking to me individually. And you know what? I'm going to act on it. What kills Christian men today in America? Spiritual laziness. Would you guys agree? What kills us? Spiritual laziness. Man, I don't really have enough time to get in the word. Put that games on, right? And everybody's coming over. Right? And your kids are like, Dad, you don't even stand up in church to worship the Creator. But man, when your favorite team, you know, scores a goal or whatever, you're off the couch. You're freaking out. You're screaming. How much, literally, do we truly devote our energy to that has nothing to do with eternity? Now, there's nothing wrong with love and sports and having fun and, you know, having a fun home and a fun community. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But Jesus and his word has got to be first. Above finances. Above everything. Why? Because when we build our house on that rock, everything else remains. If we get it wrong, we're building our house on the sand. And the wind is going to come. And the rain will come. You'll all go through trials. We know that. We live on the earth. You will suffer. When you do, what have you invested in? The wise man hears and he takes action. He hears and he takes action. He studies the scripture. He spends time in the word. Now let me just share with you a a few scriptures that have helped me. I remember being a very young Christian and saying, Lord, I am not a good reader. I'm dyslexic, which means my ability to read and write tops off at the fourth grade. All of my kids can read and write better than I can. It is a humbling thing. I'm sharing with you so that you have no excuse. You have no excuse. You understand me? No excuse. I listen to the word and I follow along. It goes in the ears. It goes in the eyes. It's deep in my soul. It takes me four times longer to study a passage than most people. But why is that a blessing? Because it's deeper in me. It's deeper in me. So I've asked the Lord, Lord, I don't understand your word. I fall asleep when I read. I'm exhausted from the construction site. How do I know your will? So let me share with you two scriptures that have changed me forever. The first one is, and you can write this down. You can turn to it, whatever you want. Sit back and listen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God will give you exactly what you need. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us into his eternal glory and excellence. What does that complicated text from Peter say? It says that whatever I need, God's going to give it to me. Whatever I need, if I spend the time in an attitude of prayer with my Bible open, listening, reading, getting counsel from other godly men that I know are men of the word, not just men of great ideas, but men of the word, God's going to speak to me. He promises this to you. Also in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, James says that whatever we lack, 
especially the wisdom that I need to be the spiritual man, to build my house right, God's going to give it to me. James chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach or without laughing at them. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So what does James tell us? And you guys know James is the most applicable book in the New Testament. You guys know that? How many 21 little nuggets of just straight into your heart? This is the truth. This is what you need to do. James doesn't spend chapters developing something like Paul. James spends one verse. And then the second verse, straight at you. I love James, right? That's what I need. Just straight at me. It's like the New Testament Proverbs is what James is. James says, you lack wisdom in the very beginning, chapter one, verse five, ask God. Ask God. God wants to speak to you. God wants to lead you. God will use prayer and he'll speak to you directly. God will use, more importantly, his word that you can't argue with and you can't try to you know, mess it around in your mind. It's just it's here, it's in black and white. God will use other godly men and even godly women in your life to speak truth to you. But when you ask God, he will speak to you right where you're at. But when you ask, don't doubt. Don't be like unwise men. Don't be shifting sand. Just say, Lord, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. And as you're doing that, your mind will literally open and God will pour his wisdom into you. When we doubt, we build up a spiritual wall and it's like we can't even hear God. He's behind glass. He's talking to someone. His mouth is moving. His word is there, but we can't hear it. When we ask in faith, that window opens and God just becomes our best friend, sitting with us, talking to us. Now, I'm not saying God's going to speak to you audibly every day. It's not going to happen. But he has given you his word that is going to go right into your soul constantly. So when we lack wisdom, when we say, Lord, I don't understand, I want to build on a rock, just come to him completely humble, prostrated in every part of your life, prostrated in the middle of work. Now, you're not going to lay on the ground and sprawl out, but you're going to say, Lord, I don't have a clue what's going on. I don't have any idea what to do, right? To talk to senior pastors and ask them, do you have a master plan? Do you know how this is all going to work? And every senior pastor I know would say, absolutely not. I'm a frail man, and God's giving me this ministry to lead. Lord, I need you. Now, I know your pastor. I know many of the Calvary pastors. This is how we exist, Lord, we're lost. You're the great shepherd. Lead me. Help me lead them. Help them lead their businesses and their families and their communities. We want to be founded upon the rock. This is a time investment. It will not happen quickly. Change whatever you need to in your life to be a man of the word. And then ask yourself, when a problem arises in my life, who do I turn to? Just the world? Do I turn to the thought of the day, political opinions? Do I turn to what's on TV? You see, the tragedy with our lives is we're so inundated with technology, you know, with the phones and the TVs and the big screens everywhere. We're constantly being bombarded with people's opinions. Most of those opinions are so corrupt, but they're, they're masked or they're, you know, somewhat shined and polished to look good, but it's just a lie from hell. 
And I can't give it to you any other way. Before I was born again, I bought into the world wholeheartedly because that's all I knew. And if I would have never gotten saved, I would be promoting the world because that's what I loved. But when my heart changed, you guys remember the day you got born again? When my heart changed, when I was washed clean, my mind opened up. Why do I go back to the world to get advice? Just ask yourself, where does my leadership come from? From people or from others? So the first man was a man of action. He worked hard spiritually. He built this house on a foundation. The second man heard the same words and did what? Nothing. He had the knowledge, he understood it, it was there, it wasn't complicated, but he chose to set it aside and to do nothing. Ask yourself this morning, am I wise or am I foolish? Am I hearing and am I obeying or am I hearing and disregarding? Where am I at, Lord, with you, with your word, with what you've revealed to me? Am I spiritually lazy? Ask yourself that question. In the concept of being spiritually lazy, I want to bring up three main things that pull Christian men away from building their house on a solid foundation and cause them to build their house on the sand. These are modern day American Christian things that we deal with, or things we, I should say, in the world that we deal with. The first one would be philosophy. The philosophy of the world is the first place that a Christian can leave the solid rock and begin building his house on the sand. The second one is psychology, and we're going to develop these in a moment. The second one is psychology. The third one is scientific theory. Now, I'm talking about good science. I love science. Let me tell you that. I love engineering. I love science. I love anything I can test and prove and put my hands on. But scientific theory, on the other hand, is destroying the church today. So let's look at philosophy first. Building my house on the sand that's constantly shifting and changing. Philosophy. Philosophy, to define it in a simple way, would be understanding what's right and wrong. If I'm going to say, I'm going to philosophize about this or that, I want to know what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. So philosophy, in its most basic sense, is understanding what's right and wrong. What does Hollywood teach us about marriage today? Just consider the amount of movies or TV or whatever. Those voices in our homes, those voices in our cars, those voices in our community. What does Hollywood teach us about marriage? The worst shifting sand that we could imagine. Like 20 years ago, if we would have said Today, in 2016, this is what's going to happen 20 years ago? No way. No way we would slide that far from the truth. There is no way. Hollywood is destroying the basic foundation of godliness, the home, the marriage. And then we have the White House. Let's just go back 50 years. Boom. What have they done? What have they done? There's a lot of things we can talk about. I'm not even going to talk about my daughter being able to go into a bathroom that should be only for her, and there's some sicko in there. I'm not even going to bring that up this morning. That's just too much for me. I was just in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago, meeting with senators, doing this whole pastoral thing. It's too much for me. What I want to bring up this morning is abortion. Abortion. A president signed, right, a bill that said 
killing our children before they're born is okay. Signed it into action. The Superior Court, the Supreme Court, all these people, everybody got together over all that time and have said it's totally legal. How many children in our community have been killed in their mother's womb? How many? 55 million. So let's think in for a moment. 55 million. And we say Hitler was a horrible man. Six million Jews, all the Russians and the British and the French and everybody else. What's Hitler? I think it was like 12 million people that his decisions affected. Our country, our White House, has destroyed within the womb 55 million of our own children. But because it's happened slowly and steadily, we've built our house on sand. And that storm is coming and we are going to fall. We are going to fall. The judgment of God on our nation is pending. You guys realize that. Now, God judged Israel many times and then revival came. So I'm not saying it's over. All I'm saying is we need to realize the decisions that we've made that have come so far from God's word that we don't even talk about it. Like it's hard for me to even share it on a Sunday morning. Now, I'm, I'm ready to share it with a group of men because I know all of us have been involved, somebody we know, our own families. It's happened here in our community. I don't even want to share it with the ladies. It's too intense. 55 million people. And our White House says, this is okay. This is okay. This is right. This is wrong. The word of God says no. And that's where we need to stand. And then, in more on philosophy, understanding of right and wrong, our colleges. We send our kids off to higher education. And what's one of the first things their philosophy professor teaches them? If you believe in God, you're an idiot. If you believe in God, get out of my class or I'll ridicule you publicly during the entire semester. These are the concepts of the foolish man that is building his house on the sand. I like to bring it down to a practical application. Let's say I'm dealing with an issue in my life and I'm thinking about what's right and wrong and I have a major decision to make. If I was in a room and there was two people to ask, one of them being Plato, right? One of our early, early Greek philosophers, right? The father of philosophy. And the other one being Jesus. Who would I get my opinion from? Who would I get my advice from? Who would I ask and say, how should I live? Is it Plato or is it Jesus? His words are here. His word is revealed to us. How do I make my decisions? Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 18, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 2,000 years ago, it was applicable. It is just as applicable today. And we always have to remember, when we're dealing with highly educated, well-thought-out arguments from men that are very eloquent, we have to realize 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him or folly to him, and, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So I don't expect President Obama to be a spiritual man. He mocks the Bible up and down. 
I've watched him over and over say, oh, I'm a Christian. And then he completely mocks the Bible. I'm writing him off as my leader. Now I'm American. I'm going to represent this country. I'm going to honor my president. Absolutely. But he's not my spiritual leader. He should not give me the philosophy that rules my life. And then the second thing was um, psychology. Psychology brought down to its most basic understanding is what do I need to be happy? That's psychology. What do I need in my life to be happy, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled? What do I need? And the question that oftentimes our modern day psychologists will say to us, if your God is real and he loved you, he would not allow you to go through the trials that you're going through. Have you ever heard that? If your God's real and he loves you, you wouldn't have a loss of a job. You wouldn't lose your child at a young age. You wouldn't have these things happening in your life. If God really loved you, all your trials would be gone. But that's not what the New Testament tells us. Jesus just said the wind will blow. The rains will come. The storm will hit. Are we built on the sand of modern day psychology? And saying, God, if I feel wind, if I feel wet from the rain, you don't love me anymore? Absolutely not. We are here in a world that is broken. And God has given us the ability to lay a foundation that's so steady, we will never be moved. So again, if I was in a room with two people, I had Freud on one side and Jesus on the other, who would I go to? To ask, how can I be fulfilled in my life? Not happy, fulfilled, solid, planted on God's word. Freud was spiritually dead, completely, totally spiritually dead. Now, there's a bunch of scriptures I wanted to read on that one. I think we're going to leave that for a moment just for the sake of time. The third one is now scientific theory. Scientific theory is the third thing that I think causes the modern-day Christian American to build this house on the sand. Have any of you guys studied evolution, like really studied it? Have you studied creationism in detail? I'm talking about the ability to, to understand the differences between the two. Where do the arguments come from? How many of the arguments on either side are actual science or are they philosophy? Are they actually something that we can reproduce in a laboratory? You understand what science is? Science says I can test it and I'll get the same product every single time, no matter what. And so today, what happens in modern day science is we say this is what we think the origin of the world was. And so therefore, if what we test today and we think it's this way, we're going to go back how many billions of years? Do you guys know? Four billion years. And then every time they understand more complexity, they realize it would have taken more time for evolution if total evolution was what was going on. So they add on more years. What, no, 5 billion and 10 billion and 14 billion? And when's it going to stop? When I was in school, the world was like, what, 500 million years old, which is forever. Now my kids are in school and that's 4.5 billion years old. How old is it going to get? How long can the sun burn in the sky? How long can we have a perfect atmosphere for total evolution to happen? 
Now, do I believe in evolution? Yes, in its basic sense that God has made a cat. And a cat can then produce a bigger cat or a smaller cat. It's called microevolution. A bird can change within its own species a little bit based on its climate and its history, its food, its, you know, its, its, its environment. But can a bird become a lizard? Or a lizard become a bird? Can a dog become a cat? No, absolutely not. So microevolution is true. God built it into our DNA to adapt. But macroevolution, total change from the smallest cell to the most complicated human today with DNA? Come on. Come on. It's called irreducible complexity. There's a certain point where you say, yeah, I could see that this could happen, but there comes a certain point in the DNA itself, somebody had to engineer it. Somebody had to put that information into it. It could not naturally happen on its own. So we go through all of these concepts of science and we say, Lord, what does it mean? What was the beginning of life? Is it in Genesis or is that just an ancient story? Was it Darwin's point of view or was it Jesus's point of view? So I come back to this same, you know, conundrum. What am I going to do? What's my purpose on the earth? How long have I been here? How long will um, uh, uh, people be here? Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? And do I go and sit with Darwin and talk with him? Or do I sit with Jesus? Just ask yourself the question. Simplify it. Bring it home. Do I stand on a man's opinion like Charles Darwin that wasn't there in the beginning? That wasn't there in the beginning. You know that Charles was a theology student. You see, in England in those days, to be a pastor was like today, being a doctor or a lawyer. In Charles Darwin's day, be a pastor, be a doctor, be a lawyer, those were all things that people wanted to do. So his parents sent him to school to do theology. He learned the entire Bible, but he rejected it wholeheartedly. He got on a boat and he wanted to be a naturalist and he spent time traveling through the ocean, got to the Galapagos Islands. You guys know the story of Charles Darwin. He measures the beak of the finches and the whole thing. And he comes back and he says, here's the deal. All that stuff in the Bible, it's just a fantasy. It's actually evolution. And you're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know the word and you wholeheartedly rejected it. Charles Darwin had the choice to build this house on the solid rock of God's word and be an incredible scientist like Newton and all of the other guys that loved God and did great science, right? Because they understood the word and what they perceive in the natural world. They put the two together and they said, this is the truth. So when I go to Charles Darwin for my advice... When I go to my local professor that wasn't there in the beginning to ask him about the beginning and the origins of life, you see, once we adopt these concepts, especially modern-day scientific theory, right, underlining the word theory, once we accept these concepts, the Bible starts to lose credibility, and we begin building our house on sand. Before you know it, all we have is sand, and the rock has been removed totally, Our society, our culture has been shifting from solid rock to sand steadily and slowly. And we're at a point where it's almost 100% sand. So who was there in the beginning? John chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And he was the light of men. So what is Jesus? He is the creator. He is the teacher. 
and he's the savior. Who were you going to? To get advice about your life. To make decisions that will not only affect you, but your spouses. Not only affect your spouses, but your kids. And looking around the room, I know we've got grandkids in here, don't we? Your decisions are going to affect generations. Who are we today as men of God? Jesus' words are not suggestions. They are predictions. Will we listen and take action and work hard spiritually, be wise? Or will we reject, neglect, set aside, and just do those things that feel good for the moment? and begin building our house on sand, if we do, great will be our fall. Great will be our fall. How are you building your house today? Now, I brought with me a book. It's called Counter Culture. There's a bunch of them in the back on the table. I found these on clearance yesterday. I brought 10 of them. They're normally like $22. I got them for $14 out the door with tax. If you want to say, I want to make a commitment today to come back to God's word on every part of my life, being a man, dealing with abortion, dealing with child trafficking, dealing with missions, dealing with all of these things that we're dealing with today. This book, I've just gotten through it two weeks ago. It was the best and simplest way to say, what does the word say? What does the man of God do in today's modern world? It was just written this year. This comes down to today. The only thing it doesn't have in it is the bathroom issue. That's the only thing it doesn't have in it because it was written literally today. I believe as men of God, we need to turn to pastors like David Platt and say, David, you've spent time in all of these places. I want to be that leader in my community. I want to change not only my life, but everybody around me. Save the not saved. Will you build your house on the shifting sand as an unwise man? Or will you say, Lord, I'm going to embrace you, your opinion, and I'm going to build my house on the rock and my house and my family, they are going to stand no matter what hits us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simplicity of the truth of your word. We thank you, God, that we are here this morning bearing our hearts before you, embracing each other as fellow broken, foolish men in a broken country, Lord, to say, we need you, Jesus. Jesus, fill us with your spirit as we are praying. Fill us, Lord, as we continue in a a closing song of worship. Lord, may today be that crossroads where we switch gears, where we change directions and we become spiritual leaders in our society. Lord, thank you that you've called us the light of the world. We want to be that. We want to shine and we want to start in our homes and we want to let that ripple effect across tens of millions of people here in our part of the country. Jesus, use us to change this nation for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.